From hacktivism and DDoS attacks to card security and the mitigation of risks in the cloud, new and emerging security threats pose increasing challenges for financial institutions and the industry analysts that cover them. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. I'm joined today by Anton Shavakin, a research director at Gartner who shares some of his overall thoughts about industry security trends every banking institution should be mindful of. Anton, you joined Gartner in August of last year as a director in the GTP Security and Risk Management Group. For the last 15 years, you focused on security. Now at Gartner, you're broadening your security and fraud coverage to include the cloud, big data, and denial of service attacks. I'd like to start with some discussion about cloud security and how you see the cloud impacting management and security specific to certain banking channels such as mobile. Uh, well, thanks for inviting me, and I wanted to highlight the fact that I've been focusing on um, PCI DSS, uh, security information management, log management, uh, as well as vulnerability management, and a few other areas. Lately, I also picked up uh, denial of service coverage in our team. So it's a good, uh, interesting package of security technologies and security issues to focus on. I, I do think that I would want to preserve some depth in many of those areas because there are plenty of people who cover breadth but not depth. In any case, um, going back to the cloud, uh, I really see cloud and mobile as being kind of a two forces that that affect the technology industry, as obviously affect the way we do security. They can be treated separately as mobile devices, you know, bring your own device, all these cluster of challenges, as well as the mobile e-commerce, well, m-commerce, whatever the term is, as well as challenges which are kind of joined between cloud and mobile, because when we use a mobile device, in most cases, we are accessing something located online, if not in the cloud. So uh, in many cases, the data loss challenges and the sort of loss of control, loss of visibility challenges, which I like to focus on very often, are kind of joint or, or, or shared challenges between cloud and mobile. What I mean here is that if you have uh, a sensitive data repository that's used to be hosted somewhere deep inside the data center and the only way to access it was to you know, walk over or maybe connect remotely, but only on the LAN, local network, today in many cases the same information is available from a mobile device to multiple partners. Maybe it's even stored on a shared service provider, like a cloud service provider. So what we have is kind of a combination of two forces, diffusion of data and also loss of visibility about what's going on with our data. And as I pointed out a few seconds ago, my, my focus for many years has been on monitoring and visibility, login, security monitoring through other means. And so I see these as sort of rising in importance because of cloud and mobile. If we don't have full control over IT resources, technologies, data storage, we have to compensate loss of control with more visibility. But some of the cloud initiatives actually lead to both loss of control and loss of visibility. To me, this means the security will, in fact, suffer. So we have to get in gear and figure out how we can get the visibility back. So we know what's going on with our data, with our computing resources, with our data storage. And honestly, I do not think we can ever bring the control back because the data is already out there. Information is already everywhere, so it's kind of too late to say, can I put it back in the data center? Control is lost, but visibility is not lost, and we can get it back through different technologies. And I wanted to ask, Anton, about other trends that you see in cloud computing beyond mobile and some of the other financial services channels. 
did a recent report on uh, security monitoring for public cloud assets. So what I noticed while doing the research, and I spent about a few months doing the research for that report, is that some of the companies mostly move less critical and less important and certainly not regulate stuff to the cloud, to, to the public cloud. By the way, in this conversation when I say cloud, I really do mean public cloud. If you're using some fancy virtualization technologies, you're building a private cloud, you have challenges, but these are not the same challenges. Here we just use a shorthand of cloud computing to mean public cloud. Some of the trends I see is that when people move unimportant stuff to the cloud, there's genuinely less requirements for security monitoring, for encryption, for data protection, for control assessment. You sort of move stuff that you can lose, or it can be lost, it can be corrupted, it can be viewed by others. But the thing is, the original intention, presumably, was to learn to do security on less critical data. And then when eventually you move more critical data and more critical resources to the cloud, you already have your lessons learned and you have prepared controls and you have tested your monitoring approaches, you tested your security architectures, and you can do stuff securely. However, I'm afraid that when people move less important stuff on the cloud, it doesn't become the test bed. It becomes the model for moving the more critical stuff later. And that really kind of freaks me out because if I move stuff that's essentially public, I don't protect it, which is the right decision, and then I use the same technology and the same provider to host critical stuff because I already have experience with them. To me, that's a potential disaster. When you move the less critical data, not, not regulated data, is to actually test, test what doesn't work. And then when you move to critical data, you can use the lessons learned. Essentially, cloud computing is not all new or not all old. I just hate those debates I sometimes see in the blogs. Oh, cloud computing is just like a mainframe. All cloud computing is a completely new paradigm. It's really neither. It's kind of an interesting mix, a blend of new and old. There are some things that are clearly from outsourcing. There are some things which are clearly from remote data center management. There are other things which are clearly from web applications and, and other technical domains. So cloud, com cloud computing today, public cloud computing, is kind of a blend of challenges from different, different old fields and some of the new ones. So what we want to do is to test the way we're going to do security on critical data in the cloud and critical resources in the cloud today so that when we actually do that, we already have our intellectual capital on how to do that. And then what about big data? What about big data security and management? How is so-called big data impacting financial services? Big data itself, the two words combined together, is kind of a buzzword in many cases. And when I hear people ask questions on that high level of abstraction, are you doing something about big data? Oh, yeah. What does it mean, really? What is in this conversation? There is no specific meaning attached to the word big data. And I really don't want people starting projects or you know, exploring technologies or deploying something uh, without knowing what they actually do. So let me try to psychoanalyze our current obsession with big data. In many cases, when people say big data, they really mean analytics. They don't mean big data storage. You can store a lot of data in a fairly effective manner. What would happen is that you wouldn't be able to use the data. You can take the data, you can put it on massive hard disk arrays in, in flash file format, and it would be pretty big, but it wouldn't be big data because you cannot make use of it. So even people who are standing up the Hadoop clusters and are using other technologies to store massive amounts of data. And by massive here, we're talking about you know, high terabytes, you know, mid, low petabytes, or potentially even more data. These people are not doing it just to 
waste the disk space. They want to learn something from the data. They want some value. They want some insights. So to me, when I hear big data, I really don't want people to obsess about big data storage. I want people to understand big data analysis, getting the insights from data. And to be honest, people who cannot do analysis on small data shouldn't really attempt to do big data. Because if today you don't know how to analyze a bunch of Excel spreadsheets or your small relational database, if the limit of your analytics is summarizing a column in Excel, then you really shouldn't go into a big data project. Big data to me is big data analysis. And big data analysis requires you having big data and having analysis skills. To me, many companies can get the former, but not that many can get the latter. And uh, looking at using big data for security, I see exactly the same conundrum. We can put together multiple terabytes of logs, configuration information, vulnerabilities, and pilot in one big massive store, whether SQL or not, no SQL is a separate story. But what are we going to do with that? Using big data for security is really about analytics and learning how to analyze the data, your journey towards security data analysis from small data, and then eventually migrate to big data. Now, there's a flip side of this. There's using big data approaches, big data analytics for security, but there is also securing of big data. You have people who sort of know their way around a commercial RDBMS system. They know how to secure it, how to configure it. But have you met somebody who knows how to secure a massive Hadoop cluster that's being used by multiple people for multiple purposes? This is a tricky challenge. Just as cloud and security, there's security for the cloud, there's security in the cloud. Big data has the same exact relationship. There's using big data for security, and there's securing big data. And we are sort of very early in both of our journeys. And the next area that I wanted to talk about relates to denial of service attacks or DDoS attacks and hacktivism. How concerned should banking institutions be about some of these socially motivated attacks? I was given this as a new area of coverage, so I'm uh, trying to quickly get up speed in terms of the denial of service attacks in 2012, the defenses, defense strategies, defense architectures, approaches, when they work, which attacks are blocked, which attacks are not blocked. Essentially, I'm exploring all this and building massive mind maps of information and, and talking with different people from the DOS victims to service providers. Denial of service was, to some extent, a forgotten area of security. Denial of service got a lot of attention in 2000, 2001, essentially 11 years ago. And denial of service is getting a lot of attention now in 2011, 2012. So what happened in all those years? Was there no denial of service at all? Or was it just not a fun subject to talk about? In any case, now denial of service is back in the radar. I'm still surprised about a bit of time that's been wasted since the first high-profile denial of service attacks in 2000 and the and late 90s to today. We could have done more things to prepare for the current onslaught of denial of service. So another lesson I learned so far is, despite denial of service attacks being really, really old in security years, they're still kind of underappreciated. Almost all entities, and I, I, by entities I mean organizations and companies, might have somebody on this whole planet who hates them. Justifiably or not is a separate story. Now, admittedly, some organizations have way more bandwidth than others. Uh, we all know how some of the attacks on major social networks went. They did not really work. 
On the other hand, most organizations do not command multi-gigabit pipes to the internet. If you use internet for anything business critical, website, you know, voice over IP, you probably have to have denial of service protection. And I'm not trying to say you have to buy dedicated products. You have to think about this. You have to plan. You have to analyze what would happen if you lose this capability for an hour, a day, a week, or more. And there are some attacks that your internet service provider would deal with, but there are many other ways to degrade or destroy your online presence that aren't easily motivated by your ISPs. Attackers are figuring out more ways to make money of denial of service. And yes, we all know that it's easier to make money by stealing credit cards. Yes, we all know that. However, denial of service is not that far behind in terms of a moneymaker. You can, you can blackmail people, you can do other things. I was even reading some of the analysts' research on this, and uh, I've seen it written in black and white. Some of the analyst firms just suggested that certain companies allocate budgets to paying off attackers. And that, to me, when I read this, I had to, you know, pinch myself because I wasn't sure I'm re- I was really seeing this. My next question, which was a more general question about Fraud trends and security technology trends that you're seeing that are having the greatest impacts on financial services now and in the coming months. Visibility technologies that give more visibility. And by visibility, I don't just mean collect the logs and store them somewhere. I really mean the comprehensive set of technologies that give us awareness about what's going on. From login to control assessment to vulnerability assessment to network anomaly detection, all these technologies give us a view about what's going on. I often like to quote uh, the Verizon breach reports uh, from last year and from this year. And my favorite number in the whole report is that in like 90% or something of the cases, evidence of the intrusion was in fact either in the logs or in other monitoring technologies. But nobody looked at that. And only when the incident responders came on site, they saw all this data. We're not doing enough to get this visibility, both in technical sense, deploying sensors, collecting data, as well as in the process analytics and skill sets, well, nobody's looking at the data. In light of this, I like people to focus on both components, gaining visibility of having technologies, having data, well, having data flowing into those technologies, and having people who are smart enough to understand what's going on. And then before we close, Anton, what advice can you offer to banking institutions where technology investments and some of these fraud or security trends are concerned? I do have four lessons, and they're not really listed in priority order. They're all important. So first one is, if you're doing many of the security processes and and technologies for compliance, it doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It just means that you are not exploiting them to the fullest potential. Compliance is meant to drive security, not to be a replacement for it. Compliance is a motivator, not the end goal. If you're deploying a SIM tool, security information and event management tool, for compliance, make sure it's used for at least enabling better investigations. So the next point I wanted to make is that really focus on technologies that give you more visibility, security monitoring, login, control assessment. You want to actually know what's going on. And you want to know it from the technical sense, not from what should be going on. Because there are plenty of policies written about what should be going on. I can assure you, this is not what's going on. So to really know what's going on, you have to have sensors, data collection, data analysis, as well as skilled people looking at all this stuff. So this is what this is my lesson number two. My lesson number three is that sort of an adjacent to the number two is that the real information, the facts, really come from systems, not always from asking people questions and uh, uh, looking at policies. You want to have the data collected by the actual technologies. And the fourth advice I wanted to give people is to really focus more on learning from others. If you are being attacked by a specific 
threat factor. There's a high chance that somebody else on this planet has already dealt with it. And this applies even to unique threats. Maybe the specific binaries, specific malicious executables are different, but the approaches and the tips and the tactics that the attacker followed might have been seen somewhere else. So please try to get involved with people who can share such information with you. And this is one of the great things financial institutions, and as well as others, can be doing to bulk up their defenses and to really know what's going on. Because if somebody has seen it and spent time analyzing the threat, why wouldn't you learn from their experience? Anton, I want to thank you again for your time today. Thank you so much. Again, we've just heard from Anton Shavakin of Gartner. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.